0: You said you had enough back, but instead you attacked. You got me out of my head. It won't go and solve this time. We'll catch you and your crimes will be shining in the light.
1: Welcome to Colgate's MHS Monsters and Demons, where real education meets real life. I'm your host, Randy Hubbard, and I thank you for listening. You know when you send your son or daughter off to college, or the real world, you hope and pray that they will always be safe. Unfortunately, you can't walk with them everywhere like you did when they were kids, but man do you wish you could. You send them off usually with a tear-filled goodbye, knowing that you will see them soon. But what happens if you don't? What happens when they run into that monster in the dark and there's nothing you can do about it? What happens when they just vanished? Hello, I'm here with Emily and she's going to talk about her case that she worked on, which is Brian Schaefer, who is a 27-year-old med student at Ohio State University, who went out with some of his friends, and no one has ever seen him since. So Emily, tell us a little bit about Brian and who he was.
2: Brian was, like you said, a 27-year-old med student at the time of his disappearance, and he seemed to have it all going for him. He was getting good grades in his extremely difficult classes, he kept up a healthy relationship with his then girlfriend and he was growing closer to his brother and father than ever before in the wake of his mother's recent passing it was the start of spring break for OSU students and many were out celebrating from the outside Brian seemed like the perfect all American man like I said before he was getting good grades in his med school classes he loved hanging out with his friends studying a lot playing music especially music written by his favorite band, Pearl Jam, and going out and meeting new people. I was able to speak to Brian's brother's wife, Morin, who knew him when he was in high school and growing up in college. She said he was very smart, funny, sarcastic, and confident, and that he was the type of person to meet new people when out in public and never shy away from a fun time. Unfortunately, in the few months before Brian went missing, His mother had died from a rare form of cancer. However, on the bright side, this made him grow closer to his brother and father than they have ever before. Also leading up to his disappearance, he was supposed to go on a spring break trip with his girlfriend, where there were even rumors where he was going to propose to her on this trip.
1: So it appears to be that Brian is a normal college student, especially med students getting towards the end of their medical school career and wanting to get out and kind of let some steam off go on spring break and enjoy the last hurrah before he gets out. Can you explain to us a little bit about that night and what happened to him or what we think might have happened to him?
2: So earlier on in the night, probably around 6 p.m., he had dinner with his father, which makes sense given the fact that his father lived about 30 minutes away from the OSU campus and Brian was about to leave for a week. And then around 9 p.m., he gave his girlfriend a call as she was out with her parents both visiting them before they went on spring break together. On this call, Alexis said that Brian seemed perfectly fine. Nothing was out of the ordinary. At 930 is when it sounds like Brian started bar hopping with his then best friend slash roommate, William, AKA Clint. And they kind of just hit all the major bars in the OSU area, probably from what it sounds like taking shots or having drinks at each one before moving on at 1 15 a.m they were about to head back to their apartment before meeting up with another mutual friend and returning to this one bar called the ugly tuna Saluna one more time before it closed and then 1:55 a.m was the last time he was ever seen because he actually left the bar was seen talking to two unknown women at the front and then entered the bar one more time. And that's when the security cameras caught him and he was never seen exiting the bar again.
1: So if he wasn't seen exiting the bar, but yet no one saw him, where do you think he went?
2: Well, there was one other exit to the bar where he possibly could have left. And there has been some debate around this exit because from some sources, it sounds like it led straight into a construction zone, which, you know, would have been very difficult and dangerous to navigate if he was as drunk as people say he was. Um, so he could have gone out that way. And that is where people are speculating. He might have run away if he wanted to start a new life, but there's also speculation that he was led out that way as, it sounds like the security camera watching that entrance was either turned off or for some reason broken on that night and therefore was not able to pick up any footage.
1: So do you know if there was any footage seen prior to that night or after that night from that camera?
2: I'm not sure about the days like leading up to or immediately following, so I'm not sure if that camera had been tampered with or if it was just routinely broken. they That bar had not been around to fix it yet.
1: When you talked about his disappearance, when you say that, obviously they've never found him since then, right? Correct. Okay. And when he left that building, did anybody else inside the bar see him or know him and state that whether he was drunk or anything of that sort?
2: Not that I can find. So there was the two women that he spoke with immediately before last being seen again. And from the sources that I have found, I have heard some conflicting stories. Some saying that the police never spoke to these women. Some saying that the police did speak to these women, never gave them a polygraph. And some saying that these women went through the whole process and determined not to know any information to help the case, so they were kind of never reached back out to again and these women were never named anywhere so i was unable to try and find or contact them at all and then from what i could tell clint and brian kind of parted ways near the beginning of entering this bar again and after brian disappeared clint very very quickly lawyered up and um did not agree to speak to the police or take a polygraph test at all meaning we really couldn't get information about Brian and how he was acting immediately before his disappearance.
1: Now, I know a lot of people are gonna look at Clint getting a lawyer as kind of suspicious,
2: but is that really
1: suspicious? Was he thought of as a suspect at all?
2: Um, I was unable to get the police reports or any files to see if the police ever thought of him as a suspect. But overall, him lawyering up is not necessarily an admission of guilt or suspicion, as people react in many different ways when they are hit with a uncomfortable or new situation, which can be very traumatic for someone who just lost their best friend and roommate. No one knows how they're going to react, and Clint was definitely facing a lot of pressure from everyone around him.
1: Well, and the fact that he was the roommate, he Mm -hmm. was there with him that night, he's obviously going to be somebody that's looked at since he was the closest one to him at that time. So it is unusual for somebody to do that. Some people tend to think that maybe that's a sign of guilt, which it may not be at all. One thing about this class is that I wanted people to dive into something that's going to be passionate to them and so forth. So why did you pick this particular case?
2: I originally picked this case while um, scrolling through the Ohio Attorney General's page um, looking at disappearances because I knew that disappearances were particularly interesting to me since most people in this class uh, were choosing murder cases, and I wanted to give these one of these cases of uh, disappearance a voice that they normally wouldn't um, get. And I saw that this was a young, healthy, physically fit man who seemed to be in the prime of his life, had it all going for him. And I just thought it was curious how he would have been able to just disappear and never be seen again. And I also thought it was interesting how he disappeared from OSU and that piqued my interest because as a current senior, I'm heading off to a college in kind of a similar city as Columbus, in a similar situation as a campus on a major city, and I know a lot of my current friends who are at OSU, and I have many co- connections in Columbus in general, which has kind of made this case more personal and more hit closer to home to me.
1: Well, and the fact that we live in Ohio, and mm-hmm. you have somebody that disappears from the Ohio State University. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that can really pique somebody's interest in those kind of things. What is the problem with a missing person's case versus a cold case with a murder? Um,
2: well, one big problem is a lot of evidence. And as murder cases, you know, sometimes they will definitely have more pieces of, pieces of evidence than a disappearance. And with a disappearance, you can never really truly rule out someone just running away, and purposefully leaving which will add more like doubt and suspicion in other people's minds as they are also looking into this case and they may write it off
1: well one thing about missing persons cases uh, and the key thing is that they're still missing mm-hmm. um, in most murder cases and cold cases you have a body you know where they started and you know where they ended you just got to fill in in between unfortunately with brian's case and some of the other cases that we're going to talk about here in a little bit that can't be said because we don't know where Brian is. And you would hope, and the family I think hopes that one day Brian's going to walk through that door. But I think time starts to show the family that he's not coming back. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, he's still missing. Uh, but I would say that missing with the understanding that most likely he's probably deceased. Mm-hmm. We just don't know where he is at the moment. So. We had some pretty good experience talking to somebody who is pretty infamous, that's not the word, pretty famous, not infamous. (laughs) He's pretty famous about looking into cases very similar to Brian's. Talk to us a little bit about who that is and why he's famous about it and what kind of things did he tell you that kind of went along with what he's working on?
2: So I had the um, amazing opportunity to sit down and call uh, Kevin Gannon who worked with the NYPD for about 20 years. And he was a very, very well decorated detective. He was very big within the NYPD. And at the time of his retirement, he had worked in homicide. He had worked in disappearances and missing persons. And I believe he had also worked in cold cases in the NYPD. So when he retired, a little bit before that, he was in missing persons. And started investigating a few missing persons cases, which later revealed to be homicides, um, as the bodies were found in New York, of men very similar to Brian's kind of profile, as they were young, they were physically fit, they were in usually in college or just graduated college on a very good track to a very good career, and they would later turn up, usually in rivers or lakes, some form of body of water with no signs of drowning and they had originally went missing from crowded bars on busy nights when no one would have seen them disappear. So Kevin Gannon, after retiring from the NYPD, went on to look into these cases a little bit more and started connecting them with many other cases all across the U.S of similar case similar profiling Mm
0: -hmm.
2: where these men would go missing and appear days or weeks later in a body of water usually with this one calling card nearby which would be a graffiti symbol a lot of times of a smiley face next to where or near where the body was found he started connecting these cases he alongside a few other Uh, Men started connecting these cases and started coming up with this smiley face killer, which is this serial killer or serial killers, a gang of people with pods in many major US cities across the US who would kind of go out and find young, attractive, healthy men who are on a good path in life, make them disappear from a bar, and then they would turn up dead a few short amount of time later. Kevin Gannon heard about this case in Columbus very soon after it happened, like the summer after it happened, and was able to I don't know if he ever went to Columbus to I check it. Did, yeah. yeah, I think he was able to go to Columbus to check out this bar um, before, unfortunately, the bar did move from the location it was at to a different location where it's currently at and was able to check out kind of the scene where he disappeared from. And since Brian was never found, he was not able to check out a scene where, where he would have turned up. But he was able to take a look around this scene and kind of notice the similarities in Brian's disappearance to other young men's disappearance all over the country. And he started to kind of group it in with this theory that Brian was another smiley face killer victim who just had never been found.
1: So the Smiley Face Killers was a documentary that came out in 2019 that was had been worked on by Kevin Gannon and several of his counterparts for a really long time. And it looked at cases in which these young men would disappear. The police would call it a either a, an accident or a drowning. And when they really looked at it and looked at the autopsies, they noticed that they were not drowned that they were dead before they hit the water. And it seemed kind of strange that these guys were showing up like that. Especially since the males are very low risk, that you would think anyways, being athletic and strong and so forth, and intelligent individuals, that they didn't put themselves in bad situations. So Kevin Gannon and his group really put a lot of effort into this. Now, there are a lot of skeptics out there that don't necessarily believe that the smiley face killer theory is holds legit. much truth. Yeah, much truth because it is hard to believe that there would be that many people that would be involved in these type of cases for um, this long. But Kevin is pretty adamant about uh, this group of people that are doing this, and they obviously are doing a lot of things probably on the dark web, which most of us have no idea what that is, and I really don't want to know in some cases. <laughs> But uh, they're almost like they're telegraphing what they're doing and where they're getting somebody, and almost like they're showing each other what they've done. And his research has been really in depth, I will say that. But I can see where some of the skeptics might say that, you know, there's a lot of coincidences there and things like that. But um, what was great about that is that Kevin spent about an hour and a half with us, about an hour? Uh, Yeah, I
2: think almost an hour and a half on call with us. Right,
1: which is really great when you talk about a guy who's working so much and things like that to give us time to talk to us about it. And he did look into Brian's case. Now he did say there was something unusual, not necessarily unusual, but different about Brian's case than some of the other ones. Do you remember what he said there?
2: Um, Well, Brian wasn't found, which they do have kind of a different, slightly different profile victims of smiley face killers that don't get found um, which Brian doesn't necessarily fit he definitely fits more of the profile for one of the men that would be found in this body of water which did kind of make this more unusual than the other cases that he had looked into
1: right now here's the thing about the body water in some of those cases they were found not too far from where they were killed and things like that. Some were lakes, some were rivers. Most were rivers, I believe. Yeah, yes. most of them were rivers. The unfortunate part about Brian is that Brian could have been in the river. The Olentangy runs right through Columbus. The only problem is that maybe nobody saw him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he continued downstream or got caught on something under the water. And maybe he was there, but unfortunately we'll never know that. So. Um, Kind of give us a rundown about that night one more time. What were some of the things that were really important that people need to think about? Um, And if anybody knows anything out there, what should they do if they can remember anything from that night?
2: So it was a, it was April 1st. So It was very early on the morning of April 1st. And it was a bar that was more t- more crowded than it typically would have been as it was spring break and kids were definitely flooding the bars it was extremely early in the morning probably around 2 a.m because that's roughly when this ugly tuna saloon had closed so he would have went missing just before 2 a.m because the cameras did catch him at 1 entering the bar one last time brian himself was a very social butterfly according to morin which was his Brian's brother's wife, so he would have definitely been the type of person to, if separated from Clint, go out, meet new people, talk about himself, talk to other people about who they are, bring up the fact that he's in med school maybe, maybe bring up his plans for spring break, and definitely kind of not shy away from going out there and putting himself out there and having drinks with people that he may not know. Now, this in itself can be kind of dangerous, as a few, more than a few maybe, multiple smiley face killers victims had been found with GHB in their system after being recovered from the water. And obviously there is no way to know if Brian had been drugged with this as, again, he was never found. But this drug is a very more commonly known as the date rape drug because it very much makes a person more willing to comply. And kind of more easygoing, less likely to put up a fight and question if they are starting to be let off somewhere. Which is very dangerous for people who are seemingly alone in bars. And if Brian had been chatting up one person and someone who knew that person that he was chatting up could have slipped something in his drink. And they could have taken him off with very little to almost no struggle at all, which is a way that Kevin thinks that they are getting these very physically fit, strong young men to kind of just walk off with them.
1: And what's unusual about that drug is that they physically appear as if they're under something or inebriate or something like that. But mentally, they can still call somebody and say, and sound normal. Uh, they can say things about where they are or you know what they were doing, but yet, They can easily be coerced to walk away with somebody else or walk off by themselves. Um, but yet they don't, they're still somewhat disoriented. I know Mm -hmm. that sounds funny, which is really weird about the drug. And one thing about talking to Kevin Gannon is that he talked about a video, which I did look up later, that showed how um, somebody could easily slip something into somebody's drink without even knowing it. especially if you're in a crowded place. Mm-hmm. You, know, you and I are sitting and talking and somebody can step in between you and I and we don't pay attention to what that person's doing. We, we look around them or whatever, continue to talk. And next see you know, they're dropping something you're drinking, you didn't even see it. So um, that's the scary part about these kind of things. So what are some of your theories in general um, about what happened to Brian? Just give us a couple of those real quick.
2: Well, there were four major theories that I pulled away after reading through everything and doing all of my research and being able to talk to Kevin. And the first one was that Brian had wanted to run away. Um, Like previously mentioned, his mother had recently passed and he was very close to her. So this was obviously a very big stressor in his life at this time. Um, And he, despite getting closer to his brother and father, he was definitely very much impacted by his mother's passing and although he was doing well in med school he had also constantly talked about how he wanted to start a band and play music and do guitar and all of this kind of being in med school obviously he didn't have all the time for that and so people theorized that he had kind of been planning this and wanted to run away before everything in his life got too much to kind of bear onto him. Um, The second theory was that Clint, his roommate and best friend, either had something to do with it, like helping him run away, or unfortunately, more darker theories. But again, this can't be really proved in anything since he never took a polygraph and he lawyered up, so we weren't able to get any information out of him. A third theory is that he could have come across an and been in an accident while trying to get home from the bar. Like I said, he was never seen exiting the bar through that front security camera ever again, but he possibly could have tried to leap through the back way that the security camera was turned off. And if he was as drunk as some news articles are reporting he was, then navigating a construction site would have been extremely difficult and very, very dangerous, and he could have tripped, fallen, hurt in his head, got into an accident on his way home and either no one ever saw him somehow after that. But unfortunately that is kind of disputed as many people think that if he would have gotten into an accident on a night where so many people were out and kind of walking around that late, someone would have saw- seen him while they were on their way home Or those construction workers would have arrived to do their job the next morning in this construction site and they would have seen him and hopefully reported it to the police. And the last theory is the smiley face killers theory where he would have been drugged and taken away from the bar probably through that back exit which may have been a little bit safer to navigate if he had someone else kind of guiding him through that area and his if he had been drugged if he would have definitely been more compliant but the most common dispute from this is the fact that he was never found and some people think that the smiley face killers don't exist overall which you know causes some people to think that he couldn't have been killed by them as they don't exist
1: right Right. now the one you talked about is him running away there's one thing that I thought was really important in that one that would prove he didn't do that is what was going to happen over spring break?
2: He, it was rumored um, among his friends and family that he was going to propose to his girlfriend Alexis on this trip and they had this very fancy very fun trip planned as they had, they were a few years into med school and there were kind of talk around everyone that they were about to start like settling down and moving in together soon, getting married, and start building their own life together. Right,
1: so it's very unusual Mm -hmm. to plan all that and then just disappear.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So so as you were doing this, like all of our cases, we run into some roadblocks and things that kind of get in our way. Kind of discuss a little bit about the roadblocks that you faced trying to find information about Brian.
2: So one of the biggest roadblocks that I came across was, especially in my first few months of researching this case and trying to reach out to people was that I wasn't getting very many responses back. I had to do a lot of digging to try and find people who I thought were the Alexis that he had been dating and his brother Derek and people like that in his life. Um, So I sent out a lot of emails and Facebook messages, but unfortunately I never really got much information back. I tried sending out messages to Clint and Alexis, and no one ever really responded to me about that, which I understand is this can be a very, this was a very traumatic event in their life and they definitely don't have any responsibility to talk to me about it at all. I had tried reaching out to Derek, but unfortunately the Derek Shaper I had found was actually not his brother. So, I apologize to that man I sent a random email Mm (laughs) to. But a few months ago, I was actually able to find Derek's uh, wife, Morin, who I had found through Facebook and sent out a message to her. And she very nicely responded and said that her and Derek would be happy to answer any questions for me, but they usually don't really respond to people as they try to keep their lives more quiet and anonymous. So I'm very grateful for all the information just about Brian, who he was as a person that I was able to get from Moran and Derek. Uh, Another roadblock was the two women outside the bar. I would have loved to have been able to speak to them, but unfortunately their names were never recorded anywhere. So I wasn't able to find out anything about them, if they had known him or if they were just two random women that he happened to be speaking to when it's before he disappeared. Also, the fact that Brian's body was never found was another definitely big roadblock in this case, as we're not able to pull any evidence from his body, see if he had if it had looked like um, foul play or if it had truly been an accident of some sorts. One of the things
1: that you mentioned about the family and Moran and his brother, one of the things I think for all these families is that, unfortunately, they get a whole lot of attention that's not good. They get phone calls from people that either are just being jerks, which I, I really can't understand how people do that, but sometimes calling and saying that they're Brian or, you know, we know where Brian is or anything like that. And I know that that can get really tough for a family when that happens. Plus, they're still a little scared. I know when she mentioned it that they didn't want their son's name mentioned Mm -hmm. or anything like that because they're still a little scared. They don't know what happened to Brian. They don't know if it had something to do with the family, somebody he knew. Um, So they they try to keep themselves somewhat out of the news Mm -hmm. for that reason. Well, when you were working through this class, what kind of things do you think you gained along the way? and what are you gonna take with you after you leave here?
2: Well, one thing I gained was definitely my ability to research deep and research well. This class definitely opened up my mind to like thinking outside the box more because I hit a roadblock a little bit before winter break and I had sent out emails and I hadn't got any responses and I had sent out FOIA requests and those had gotten denied and i did not know who to contact anymore so with a little help from mr hubbard i started to kind of gain ideas of anyone else that might know anything about this case in general and that's how i really started to think about contacting kevin gannon as we had watched the smiley face documentary in forensics the year prior and so I went on to IMDB, <laughs> and I started to look at everyone who was involved in the making of that documentary, and I just sent out emails to a bunch of people um, that had made the documentary and Kevin Gannon, and he didn't respond to me, but he actually contacted Mr. Hubbard, or did you contact kind, him?
1: Yeah, kind of in a roundabout way. Somebody else that I've been working with actually knew him, and it was kind of coincidence <laughs> right when you had sent the email this individual had just finished talking to him
0: uh-huh. um,
1: and out of the blue he called me and said he talked to Kevin Gannis and said oh great I need to talk to him. <laughs> like, so, I need that guy <laughs> yeah so that's how we got that one so um so what do you think it'll do for you when you go to your next part of your life because I know that you're going to Duquesne
2: yes I'm going to Duquesne University and I got accepted into the forensic science and law program So I'm definitely hoping to keep all this information and all the skills I gained as I um, go into that new part of my life, as I would love to be a forensic scientist. I'm super interested in forensic psychology, but also forensic science as a whole in general. I'm super interested in crime scenes and all the little intricacies of solving crimes and the lab work and the scene itself and why people do what they do so i'm really hoping that all of the information that i've learned about kind of crime in general but also the way that law enforcement works which i definitely learned more about through this class i definitely learned about a lot about law enforcement and how cases are looked at how cases go cold um, I hope that I really keep that with me as I go on to hopefully work for the FBI one day, as that's my, that's my dream job. There you, go. Um.
1: there you go, set your goals high. Yup. So any last things you'd like to say about Brian or anybody out there that might know something?
2: Um, if anyone out there knows anything about this case, please contact the Columbus police. Uh, they have their non-emergency line, which you can find on their website. And they also have the Crime Stoppers, which is an anonymous tip line that they have a Crime Stoppers for Columbus specifically. They will take any and all information regarding this case. Or if you feel uncomfortable reaching out to the police themselves, please contact us through our website. Call case at
1: masonohioschools.com.
2: And if you have any information, if you contact us, we will relay that to the police and you will be kept anonymous the entire time as we are just trying to find where Brian is.
1: Well, thank you and uh, your work that you've done actually on two cases um, <laughs> has been tremendous. I really appreciate the effort and I hope that you get everything you want in the next part of your life. Thank you. And when you do, make sure you give me a little bit of credit.
2: Oh, absolutely. Right, you'll, be, you'll be you'll mentioned in my autobiography. <laughs> uh, that's,
1: that's all we need. Well, I want to say thank you again. Um, hopefully Brian's story will get back out there somebody knows something out there they know where he either is or what happened to him that night and if they hear this you know i hope you can step up and do the right thing and speak for brian thank you and we will talk to you in the next episode thank you cold case mhs monsters and demons is written by the mason high school cold case students the editing is done by current student lydia lisco and produced by me thank you for listening to episode three vanished Tune in to episode 4, the story of Grandpa Walmart, Harry W. Smith, a military veteran who was beaten and left for dead. Join us in our discussion of the details in the case of the fallen hero.
0: It won't happen again. All those things that you said weren't true. You told me that we'd always be friends. But then what you did You said you had enough back, but instead you attacked, you got me out of my head. It won't go and solve this time, we'll catch you and your crimes will be shining